You may be seated, and uh, good to have everyone here in the house, and those of you that are joining online, we thank you for joining us, and um, going to be a great time. Uh, I'll give you some announcements at the end tonight. I want to dive right in, because I'm probably going to hold you, maybe not too much longer, but tonight's going to be the long lesson. I know, some of you are like, it's already a long day. Wednesday is the longest day of the week for our family. And, uh, and we're ready to, after service is over, we're ready to get home and get kids in bed. And parents know what I'm talking about. You've got to get ready for school the next day. Um, but if you'll just bear with me tonight for a little bit, I want to kind of set the stage for the next month or so, what we're going to be talking about. Um, some of you may remember, about three years ago, um, I taught just a snippet of this, um, redigging the wells. And we're talking about uh, Isaac, uh, redug the wells of his father Abraham. And, uh, and, and we don't want to, I don't want to jump more, more into it, but let's just go right to the word. And, uh, and I'm going to be jumping between a lot of translations tonight. So I'm really sorry if you have your King James Version or your NIV or message, if you have a physical Bible with you tonight, I apologize. If you have your phone or a tablet, you can jump around with us, but I'll have it on the screen. Um, but some of these, it's just a little bit easier to understand, um, what we are talking about. And so Genesis chapter 26 is where we're going to start out. And this will kind of be the basis of what we are talking about redigging the wells. Genesis chapter 26, verse 1 through 5, the Living Bible says, Now a severe famine overshadowed the land as had happened before in Abraham's time. And so Isaac moved into the city of of Gerar, where Abimelech, king of the Philistines, lived. Jehovah appeared to him there and told him, don't go to Egypt. Do as I say and stay here in this land. If you do, I will be with you and bless you. And I will give you all this land to you and to your descendants, just as I promised Abraham, your father. And I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars. And I will give them all of these lands and they shall all be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. I will do this because Abraham obeyed my commandments and laws. And so we jump down now to uh, verse number 12. And it says that that year Isaac's crops were tremendous. 100 times the grain that he sowed. For Jehovah blessed him. He was soon a man of great wealth and became richer and richer. He had a large flock of sheep and goats great herds of cattle and many servants. And the Philistines became jealous of him. So they filled up his wells with earth or with dirt. And all those that were dug by the servants of his father, Abraham. So Abraham's wells that he had dug, and I'm going to get ahead of myself, but Abraham's wells that had been dug, the Philistines were so jealous of what was happening through Isaac that they said, hey, We're going to fix you. We're going to take care of you. We're going to go fill your wells up. So they filled up his wells. And King Abimelech asked Isaac to leave the country. He said, go somewhere else. For you have become too rich and too powerful for us. So Isaac moved to the valley and lived there instead. And Isaac redug the wells of his father Abraham. The ones the Philistines had filled after his father's death. And gave them the same names they had before when his father named them. So Isaac sowed and received 
And this proved God's faithfulness in verse 3 of Genesis chapter 26. In response to Isaac's obedience not to go to Egypt. And that alone was his power. Isaac's riches were not a cushion from reality. Instead, his prosperity, it angered his enemies. And it brought rejection from his allies in verse 16. Anybody ever been there where all of a sudden you start doing really well and people start turning against you? What, what's going on with you? Have, has anybody experienced that? Are we not all at that level of wealth yet? We're not quite there yet? How many of you have ever had a change in your life for the better and then people started turning on you a little bit, saying, I don't know, I don't like this new change in you. I don't like this new person. Isaac responded by working to preserve his inheritance. The Philistines filled up the wells that his father Abraham had dug, and Isaac redug the wells again of water which they had dug in the days of his father. He knew that he could not improve on the location of the wells, nor could he improve on the water which flowed from the depths of those wells. When Abraham dug the wells, he dug them not only for himself, but he dug them for Isaac and his generation and for generations to come after him. He dug the wells with the future in mind. We can't just live for today. Abraham said, I'm not digging these wells just for today. I'm not going to dig a well just so I, I'll be okay today. But I've got to dig a well so that my son and my grandson and my great-grandson and all the way down the line will be blessed. We've got to think about the future. To dig wells for generations to come is a mark of greatness of any man or woman. Civilizations will die. Churches will die. Nations will die. Families will die. And when we think of only today and not tomorrow's, we will die. I want to redig a well that my children and my grandchildren, when they come along, Lord willing, Juliana says, nope, ain't coming from me. But if Lord willing, he has not come yet, I pray that they will have a well that is deep and flowing with water from them to drink from. See, in the oriental lands, the well of water is a fortune. If a king dug a well, this is really good, okay? He became as famous as those who had built a pyramid. That's all it took was to become that famous. I had to go out and dig a well and I'd become as famous as those that built the pyramids. In this time, yes. In fact, great battles were fought for the conquest or defense of wells of water. And many wars in the Old Testament... Was, and what history has written about the Middle East was fought over wells. Castles and towers were built to secure the permanent possession of wells. If you visit the Holy Land today, you'll find the well of Jacob. And it's dug a hundred feet through solid rock of limestone. These ancient wells of water are surrounded by walls of rock. And this wall of the rock was covered with a great slab. And then in the center of the slab was a hole. And through that hole would be let down the bottle or the jar. And then the opening would be covered by a stone. And it was considered one of the greatest calamities that could happen to a nation when a well would be stopped up. Because survival was a matter of mere hours in the desert in the Middle East. Their travel depended on the well. Their journey depended on the well. Their living in tents depended upon the well. And Isaac was a desert dweller living in the Judean wilderness south of Bethlehem. He found out that the wells of water that had been dug out by his father Abraham, 
at a great expense to Abraham, had been filled up by the spiteful Philistines, the enemies of God's covenant people. So Isaac said, look, I have no choice. If my family is going to live, I've got to go redig, I've got to go reopen, I've got to go reestablish the wells of my father. And so Isaac took it upon himself to make sure that this was top priority of unstopping the wells of his father. And Isaac was careful when he dug. He dug these wells to find out what the name of each one of the wells was called. He didn't just find the location of where the well was. He didn't just make sure that it was the right well. But he took the more minute detail than that. And it was, I've got to find out what the name of these, of these wells are so I will know what they represent. He didn't just want to go and say, well, here's a well and it'll get us, it'll get us water for this over here and it'll, and it'll serve our need for this. But, but he wanted to get specific to say, why did he dig this well here? What was the purpose of this well? What was the purpose of this well? And he named one of them, and, or he renamed it, Well in the Valley. Another one was Well by the Rock. And another one was Well of Bubbles. I don't think it's strange when we start opening some of the old wells tonight that that were made by Jesus and the apostles and every consecutive generation thereafter. And for as long as the church dispensation is enforced, we want to know that we are going to be redigging the wells and calling them by their right names. This is what our apostolic fathers have called them. We're going to name the wells what they need to be named. We are going to redig the wells of salvation. The wells that Abraham dug had to be redug by Isaac before he and his people, his flock, and his herds could even use them. And the Philistines have maliciously filled these wells up with sand and rubbish. They took everything they could find. They threw sand in, then they threw some rocks in. They threw sand in, and then they threw some garbage in. They threw sand in, and then they threw some stuff from their horses in. They threw sand in, and whatever you can imagine. They filled up these wells with whatever you could find at that moment. But I'm telling you that the devil is in the same business today as the Philistines were then. The devil is trying to stop up every apostolic well that has ever been. And it doesn't matter the name of it, whether it's holiness standards, baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost with speaking tongues, or the mighty God in Christ, the devil is wanting to stop up these wells. But we're going to have clarity on what these wells are. Because sometimes we have all, we've come into church and we haven't done our proper research. We haven't studied for ourselves. We've went off of what our parents always told us. And so we go for there. We went off of what a man of God or a woman of God have always told us. But the Bible says to study yourself. To show yourself approved. So you should be going home after every service and saying... Did pastor really, let me research what pastor said. I want to, I don't think, do it. And if I'm wrong, come back and tell me. I got no problem with you telling me I'm wrong, if I'm actually wrong. If I'm not wrong, well, we're going to have a discussion. No, I'm just playing. Study yourself to show yourself approved. We've got to make sure that we keep these wells open, not just for us, but for the next generation. Isaac didn't go to another location. He didn't get a new revelation. He didn't go on a fast. 
get in front of something and studied all day long to get a new revelation, which these are fine to do. But Isaac went back to what he knew. He went back to the old wells and he redug the old wells. We don't need new well digging. We just need to stay at the old well and dig up what was there. He knew that he could not improve on the location that his father Abraham had chose. We cannot improve on what God has given us. We can't change the word of God just because it doesn't fit our life today. We, there, there's, sometimes we don't understand it fully. So we have to pray for understanding and revelation. And, and I'll tell you, there's things that I was taught as a kid that I don't know if I necessarily agree with today. Because God has shown me new revelation. Is it new revelation? Well, it is to me. But then when I go to my elders and I say, can you verify this? They say, yes, you, that's exactly what it, oh, well, I always took it this way. I always understood it this way. Psalms 23 was one of those verses for me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me. We all know Psalms 23, right? The first part of Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. For years, I grew up, I mean, into my late teenage years, I was probably married when I found this out. I always thought, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I know I want the Lord as my shepherd. And one day, while watching VeggieTales, it just turned a light on. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want for anything. There's a comma in there? The Lord is my shepherd, comma, I shall not want? No, but there should be. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't need anything. See, sometimes we've just always heard something and that's what we always want to hear. But this is where we study ourselves to show ourselves. God, give us revelation. So Isaac redug the wells. He cleaned out the rocks and the rubbish and the sand. And he put a new top around the well. And he put the new windlass and the rope in which to draw the water out of the well. It was work. It's hard work to redig the well. In fact, redigging the well was probably harder than when it was to dig the well in the first place. But then he called them the names of his father. And it's silly to think that only the good things in the world is something that happened before we were born. But it's worse to discard that useful practices and customs of the past, which have proved their merit, time, and experience. God has set the seal of his approval. Listen, there is nothing wrong when it comes to tradition. Tradition is great. But sometimes we got to tweak it a little bit because our tradition doesn't always match up to where we're at right now. Do you understand what I'm saying? What I'm saying is if we always do what we've always done, we'll always get what we've always got. And this is where it comes into, pastor's been saying, the method may change, but the message will always stay the same. Our method of delivery may change. I thank God that we are not sending Amazon Prime by horse and buggy anymore. I can order something right now on Amazon for my phone and it could probably be here in the next 30 minutes if I did it right. Okay, maybe not, not really, but if I was in a big city, it could be. I remember growing up as a kid and we'd have the cereal boxes in Battle Creek and you'd have the prize, you know, that you'd have to send in. Anybody ever send in the, the box tops? And then if you send in like so many box tops, they sent you a toy back. Well, when we moved to Battle Creek, I've realized, hey... 
Kellogg's, Battle Creek, Michigan. I don't have to send it that far. I could go drop it off to them. I don't even have to waste a stamp. I can waste my parents' gas on it. No, but I would send that. And you know how long it would take for me to get that toy back? Six weeks. I lived less than six blocks. But it would take six weeks. It didn't matter if I lived in Louisville, Kentucky, if I lived in Tulare, California, if I lived across the ocean, six weeks, no matter where I was. Now they put the toy in the box. That's great. I appreciate that method now. I mean, I don't, but my kids do. But I'm thankful that methods have changed over time, but the message and the goal remains the same. That's what we're doing here, ladies and gentlemen. Our methods of worship, they may change a little bit. Our methods of outreach may change a little bit. But our message of an apostolic doctrine is never, ever going to change. I got two people that agree with me. I said our apostolic doctrine will never change. What's preached in this altar and on this platform is not going to change when it comes to biblical doctrine. Not man doctrine, not personal doctrine. Doctrine, biblical doctrine. Boy, I'm getting way ahead of myself. And some of you are like, it's okay, Pastor. You said you were going to be long. This is good. I'm going to preach the Bible tonight. Some of you are all like, don't you preach it every week? Yes, I do. But if you get offended, get offended at God, not me, because I'm preaching what's in His Word. There's some things that I'm going to preach to you, but it's going to take me a little bit. In the next few weeks, I'm going to preach on the well of sound doctrine. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about water baptism in Jesus' name. One God, repentance, the infilling of the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking in tongue. That's sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is the well of prayer and fasting. It's the well of praise and thanksgiving. It's the well of witnessing. It's the well of giving and stewardship. It's the well of holiness. Holiness, we're going to talk about? Yes, do you know what holiness is? It's the purity of the heart. And it's separation from the world and holy, godly living. Not just our, apparel, not our appearance and our apparel. We get caught up in that sometimes. That's not just holiness. That's a part of holiness. But holiness is the purity of the heart and the separation from the world. And holy and godly living. Don't be surprised if I call out wells by name. Some of you are in here, you're going to call them out my name. No, I'm not going to call out your name. I'm going to call out some wells by their name. It may be sin. It may be heaven, it may be hell, it may be the devil, or it could be the gospel, but I'm going to say it the way it needs to be said. My priority is to redig the wells that our apostolic fathers have dug. Many wells in some of your lives are getting filled up with debris and with dirt, and you might be questioning things in your life. We have no choice. If we're to continue as the church that began in Acts chapter 2, that continues today, and will continue in the church age until it is, until we're taken in the rapture, the catching away of the church, the bride which is also known as the first resurrection, we must keep digging. I've got to keep things out of my well. I don't want jealousy in my well. I don't want envy in my well. I don't want strife. I don't want hurt feelings. I don't want false doctrine. I don't want giving up on nothing. I don't want anything getting in my well. We're going to redig wells that were dug thousands of years ago, and we're going to keep them open through this century. And so before I get to sound doctrine, I want to start with the apostles' doctrine. 
And then I'm going to go a little bit slow because I'm going to be doing some teaching tonight. Um, that was the introduction. The last 22 minutes, that was the introduction. But Matthew 16 and 18, Jesus said, Thou art Peter. That means Petrus. That means little rock. He said, Upon this rock, Jesus said, Upon this rock, him, which is Petra, that's a big rock, I will build my church. Jesus is not necessarily building his church upon Peter. He's building his church upon himself. And you can study that in Peter chapter 2. The church is founded upon a rock. Not dogma. Not creed. Not tradition. Tradition is okay. But the church is not built on tradition. Not something that somebody found up in an attic. But the gospel is built upon the word of God. The rock is Christ Jesus who never changes. He never fails. And I'm optimistic about the church because of its foundation and its founder. I'm optimistic about this building standing strong because I know who built it. And I've seen those guys build some other things that's pretty strong too. We had things in Battle Creek. It was so funny. You'd have walls that were built that you knew they were never coming down because there was, I mean, it was nails and glue. Brother, brother Nick and I were tearing up some carpet today over in the daycare. And, I mean, it was everything within both of us. I mean, we were pull, he was probably pulling harder than I am, but he's got more height on me. You know, that's what it was. But we're pulling up, and I go, man, Brother Nick, don't you hate it when somebody does something right? I mean, the glue in that carpet, I don't know who laid it, but my goodness, you want a carpet layer, go find out who laid that carpet over there because it wasn't coming up. But we can have a trust in Jesus Christ because we know that he built the church and it's built on him. He's the foundation, he's the founder. So let's talk about the apostles' doctrine. Ephesians 4 and 11 is where we're going to go tonight to, to kind of jump into this. Christ himself gave the apostles, he gave the prophets. He gave the evangelists, he gave pastors, he gave teachers. Why did he give them? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is, Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So let me summarize briefly what Paul taught us in these verses concerning edifying each other. We must teach solid doctrine rather than man-made fables. Do we all agree on that tonight? If you agree tonight on Facebook, give me a thumbs up. Put that in the chat. Thumbs up. Oh, we agree. We must teach solid doctrine rather than personal preference. We must teach solid doctrine rather than personal preference. We must develop within ourselves the grace of Jesus Christ and his life. And we must learn to cooperate one with another in service. Everybody say Psalms 23. Everybody online, type that in the chat. Psalms 23. We all know what that is. I already referenced it once tonight. 
There's another easy, easy 23, chapter 23, that I want you to learn in a verse 23. Proverbs 23 and 23. Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Sometimes we get caught up on buy the truth and sell it not. And we move on. But we forget that in this proverb we're told also wisdom. We need wisdom. We need wisdom. We don't just need sound doctrine, but we need wisdom to go with our doctrine, to go with our truth. We need instruction and we need understanding. He said, when you get a hold of the truth, don't let go of the truth. You will be offered everything in the world. Though an angel come from heaven and preach you anything else, don't let go of the truth. Truth has fallen the streets, but he who desires the approval of God above all else will value truth. There's going to come a time where at the cost of friends, family, reputation, possessions, and life itself, truth is truth. Whether you believe it or whether I believe it, it's still truth. Even if nobody will stand for truth, truth is truth. Truth doesn't need you. Truth doesn't need me. Truth is truth. If five billion people say it's this way, and there's only one saying it this way, and it's the truth, it's the truth. Truth is truth. Whatever the suffering that may result from from me contending for the faith, contend for it. Whatever the result is for you contending for the faith, contend for it. He who possesses truth will find it with wisdom. Instruction and understanding. Such as all the wise men after the flesh. Philip was then writing to the church at Philippi. And I'm going to read from two versions tonight. The first one, the King James Version. He said, But what things are getting to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I do count them but dung that I may win Christ. The Amplified, which I, I love reading out of the Amplified version. It gives you a little, little snippets in there as, un, as understanding sometimes. Verse 7 says, But whatever former things were gains to me, whatever I thought they were gains, these things that I once regarded in advancement, these were advancements in merits, the things that were former that I thought were going to move me up, I have come to consider as a loss. He's saying these are absolutely worthless. Why? Because it's for the sake of Christ and the purpose which he has given in my life. Verse 8 says, but even more than that, I count everything as lost compared to the priceless privilege and the supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've I've lost everything and I consider it all garbage so that I may gain Christ. If I lose everything in my life, We think, oh, it's tragic. He's lost everything. His home, his family, his job, his car. You know, we're we're looking at, uh, who was it? It Job, curse God and die. You know, he still loved the Lord. He still worshiped. He he said, look, you can take everything away from me. Though he's slain me, yet I will trust him. Yet I will praise him. If I have Christ, I've gained everything. I don't need all these earthly possessions. I don't need people here. If I have Christ, that's what I want to gain. 
Paul said, I was the chief among chiefs. He said, I used to persecute people. I used to laugh at you Pentecostals. He said, I used to make fun of the, uh, the apostles' doctrine, and now I'm one of them. Anybody ever been like that before you were in church? You made fun of the church people, and then now one person's raising his hand. Thank you for your honesty, Brother Nick. Appreciate that. You used to make fun of the people in church, <laughs> and now you are one of those people? I used to look at people that were on Weight Watchers, and I'm like, oh, just give it up. You're not going to, you don't need that. And I'm on it now, and I'm like, man, this is great. And I'm trying to get other people on it with me. I'm like, hey, come on, man. Come live a healthy lifestyle. <laughs> it's great. It really is great. It's tough sometimes, but it's really great. But Paul said, I did it, and it cost me everything. I lost my friends. I lost my family. But we've got to love sound and solid doctrine. Paul told Titus in chapter 1, 9 through 11, he was giving him a divine order for the local church and the requirements for a minister in a local church. The Living Bible says their belief in the truth that they have been taught must be strong and steadfast so that they will be able to teach it to others and show those who disagree with them that they're wrong. So if you like to prove people wrong sometimes or all the time, study yourself to show yourself approved. Then you can go prove people wrong. That's not exactly what it says, but it is kind of what it says. He says, teach others, show those who disagree with them when they are wrong. For there are many who refuse to obey. This is especially true among those who say that all Christians must obey the Jewish laws. But this is foolish talk. It blinds people to the truth and it must be stopped. Whole families have been turned away from the grace of God. And such teachers are only after your money. Now the King James Version says, verse 9, he says, Hold fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine to exhort and convict those who contradict. He said, you've got to get a hold of sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is what we have to get a hold of. We've got to redig a well of sound doctrine. Anybody that teaches anything else besides sound doctrine, close your ears to it. Close your ears to it. Don't listen to it unless it's sound doctrine. And as the overseer of this church, I have an apostolic charge to teach and to preach sound doctrine. Well, pastor, who do you report to? Well, I report to a church board. Well, what if, what if the church board's not available? I report to my pastor. I report to my overseer. They watch our services. We're in communication. They know what I'm preaching. And if I step out of line just a little bit, they're going to call. They're going to say, hey, what were you talking about on Sunday? Explain this to me. They're going to put me in my place where I need to be. This board of our church will take... We're here to protect the church. Our board is here to protect the church. And we've got some great members on our board. And if they feel that I start to maybe, if I'm starting to maybe get away from what I should be doing, they're going to pull me in. They're going to rein me in. Thankfully, no one's done that yet. Nobody's had to do that yet. But as the local church pastor here, the overseer of this church and this community, I'm going to preach sound doctrine. And you may say, well, doctrine divides. Yes, it does. It does. We told you, I told you on Sunday, God called us to be either salt or pepper. To be hot or cold, to be left or right. 
get right or get left. I don't know, get with the Lord or drive a Ford. I don't know what your thing is, whatever you want to do. That wasn't a dig to all the Ford people. The Ford drivers helped me out the other day. I really appreciate that, Brother Eric. Thank you. But what sound doctrine does is it divides the believer from the unbeliever. The saved from the unsaved, which we're, we're all not saved yet. We're trying to be. We're not saved till we get to heaven. We're working on getting saved. But doctrine will divide. 1 Timothy 1 and 3, Paul told Timothy, he said, When I left for Macedonia, I urged you to stay here in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth or doctrine. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live a life of faith in God. If you notice, every scripture I'm giving you tonight, doctrine. They're talking about doctrine. He says, don't teach any other doctrine. If they stray from the truth, correct them. He says in verse 6, uh, chapter 4 and verse 6, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and in good doctrine, and where thou hast attained. Now I'm going to go backwards here. I'm going to go to verse 16. He says, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Verse 10, he said, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach. Because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Paul told Timothy, he said, all of these things, doctrine, truth, command it and teach it. Don't suggest it. Don't say, well, maybe it's this way. You command it and you teach it. So I'm going to command and I'm going to teach the apostolic doctrine in this church. This is the doctrine of Christ. There's nothing like the apostles' doctrine. So stay with me, all right? Here we go. The first time the gospel of Jesus Christ was preached in its fullness, 3,000 souls were added to the church. These 3,000 believed the gospel that was preached unto them. What did they do? They repented. They were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins. They received the gift of the Holy Ghost with the, utterance of speaking, or with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Immediately following the account of the 3,000 receiving and obeying the gospel, there comes a remarkable scripture that most people never read, and it's verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. They continue steadfastly. What does that mean? It means that they were secure. They were fervent. They were strong. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and their fellowship and in breaking of bread. See, it's godly for us to eat. And in prayers. See, a lot of times if we do get to verse 42, there's plenty of preachers out there that they'll say, well, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And they'll end right there. And you can say, well, I, I believe in being a part of the church is being a part of the church. When you're a part of the church, you're a part of everything. Not just the service, not just, not just the fellowship, but you're a part of everything. The apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer. 
It's evident from these words that it's not enough just to come in and speak in tongues a little bit over here, go down in the water. But it says we have to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. I'm saved, pastor. Well, I am too, but not really. We're not saved till we get to heaven. We're working on getting there. When you leave your house and your vehicle, you can put your seatbelt on, but you are not safe until you get to where you are going. You can say, well, I'm the safest driver there is. Some of you in here, me, says, well, I'm a professional driver. I'm, I'm a, listen, yes, I've been professionally trained, you know, all that stuff. And I got to go out to a track in Kalamazoo or a Marshall and do maneuvers in a bus. That was cool. Today, I was doing donuts in the bus parking lot. It was, a, it was really cool putting on a show out there, you know, I'm a professional driver. But you know what? I wasn't safe until I put that bus in park. When you're born into this life... Then you come into the church, you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, you're baptized in Jesus' name. That's your seatbelt. That's checking your mirrors. We're not safe until we are in that casket going in the ground and our soul going to heaven. Or when the rapture comes and the dead in Christ shall rise. We are not saved until we get to heaven. So the doctrine of once saved, always saved, I'm sorry ladies and gentlemen, it's false. It is false. And I, and I say that with love to those that believe that. Let's have a conversation. I'll show you where I believe that. But this is continue steadfastly in apostles' doctrine. It's evident to enter the church there was water and spirit baptism, but there has to be adherence to doctrinal truth or all of a sudden we'll be turned into fables. To show the 3,000 new converts and to make sure that they remain solid in the faith, just what we're doing right now, It states emphatically they continued steadfastly. That's why they could go against persecution. That's why they could have their heads cut off and, hey, do what you must. I know what I'm dying for here. They could be crucified upside down. They continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. We really don't know what persecution is. We really don't know what persecution is. I mean, some of us will go, I'm persecuted every day for my faith. Really? Are, are, are people throwing stones at you every day? Are you being assassinated for your faith? Are you being murdered for your faith? Are you being hung upside down for what you believe? Not really. At least I haven't been. They never moved off of what they believed because they continued steadfastly. So what is the apostles' doctrine? Why doesn't it state that they continued steadfast in the doctrine of Jesus? The doctrine of the church. It's important for you to understand the reason why the Holy Ghost chose to call the New Testament doctrine of salvation the Apostles' Doctrine. Anybody want to know why we're called the Apostolic Lighthouse? And not the Jesus Lighthouse or the Church Lighthouse? We are Apostolic Lighthouse. Well, I don't know the meaning of why why they chose the name, but I'll tell you the Apostolic meaning. It's because of the Apostles' Doctrine. Jesus never wrote one book in the Bible. He never wrote a chapter or verse. To our knowledge, he never penned one letter, note, or word. The only writing that we can find that Jesus did that we're aware of is when he stooped to the ground and he wrote something in the dirt. And I don't know if I'm going to have this ability when I get up there and I see the apostles, but I just want to say, I want to walk up to him and shake him and go, nobody thought to record what he was writing? Because we don't even know what he wrote in the dirt. 
It was so powerful, though, whatever it was that he wrote, that all those Pharisees and elders that brought him the woman, remember that? that she was caught in the act of adultery. And they came and they said, she needs, we need to stone her. You know, she's sinning and all this stuff. Jesus stooped down, wrote something in the dirt, and all those guys, all those Pharisees, all the elders, they fled for their life. So I don't know what he wrote, but it was powerful. I just want to ask one of the apostles, nobody thought to write down what Jesus wrote in the dirt. You couldn't have taken a picture of it. You couldn't have looked over and you couldn't have said, hey, Jesus, can you tell us what you wrote? Can you reenact that for us so we can jot that down? Because there's going to be people 2,000 years from now wanting to know what you wrote. We don't even know what it was he wrote, but he wrote something. We have no record of, of what it was. He didn't write a book. He didn't dictate a book to his apostles and tell them to publish it and then go peddle the book. But instead, Jesus said, go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. Then he said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Believe in what? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You got to go preach that. That's what he told him. Believeth on me. If I'm preaching today, who are you believing? You believe pastor, right? If I stay in the word, right? He gave this to his disciples and he said, you go and preach. If the people believe what you preach, then they can be saved. You are my letters. You are my epistles that we are read by men. You're going to be my walking Bible. They had no New Testament at the time. They didn't know that they were in the New Testament at the time. It's like somebody said, I wish you knew that when you were in the good old days. It'd be nice to know when you were in the good old days. Like, are we in the good old days right now? I saw a thing the other day, and it, said, and it, was, a, it was two pictures of, of, of two different cars. And one said, in my mind, what I think of when I say my car is 20 years old, and it was a car like from the 80s or the 70s. And what it really was, in my mind, and it was a car from like 2001. It'd be nice to know when we're in the good old days, you know. But they didn't know that they were in the New Testament. Jesus said, you are my Bible. Go, they must believe the words of the apostles to be saved. That's why it's called the apostles' doctrine. Jesus gave one of the apostles a set of keys. He gave Simon Peter in Matthew 16. He said, and I, also unto, I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Not Peter the rock, Jesus the rock. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee, now he's talking to Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Simon Peter had the keys. All the theologians will tell you that the church began in Acts chapter 2. They just don't tell you what key opened the door. Simon Peter opened the door to the Jews in Acts chapter 2. Simon Peter preached to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10 because he had the keys to the kingdom of God. Jesus said, Peter, whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, but whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Jesus entrusted his entire program, his plan of salvation for men and women to a bunch of apostles, to a bunch of fishermen, to a bunch of hunters, to just a bunch of men, just 
ragtag team of men, a bunch of misfits. Jesus entrusted the gospel. He took them. He trained them. He said, I'm trusting my whole plan in the hands of you, my apostles. Jesus himself did not bring the message to the world. He gave it to the apostles and they went into all the earth. New Testament salvation did not come to mankind until after Jesus Christ died on Calvary and purchased it with his own blood. He was despised and rejected and he was looked down upon but said, I'm going to send some men to you. They're going to preach to you the apostles' doctrine. They will tell you what to do to be saved. If you despise or reject the teachings of the apostles, you despise Jesus Christ himself because he commissioned them to go. John chapter 17 verse 20, Jesus is praying and he said, I'm not praying for these alone. He's talking about the apostles. He said, I'm not praying for the apostles alone right now. He said, but I'm also praying for the future, future believers who will come to me because of the testimony of these apostles. Your testimony of conversion, your testimony of faith has power. It does. It does. Your testimony has power. Through their testimony, through the apostles' word. It's so plain. Jesus puts it so plain. He said, I'm praying for the believers who will come to me because of the testimony of these. It is a fact that nobody can believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ except through the word of the disciples of the Lord Jesus. Except through the word of the disciples of Jesus because Jesus gave them the plan. And he said, I'm leaving and I'm going to baptize you with my spirit. He said, I'm leaving in my flesh, but I'm going to send my spirit back to live in you permanently. That's the Holy Ghost now that we're talking about. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. He's not beside of us, but He's inside of us. Jesus said, I'm, my flesh is going to leave. I'm about to be killed. I'm about to be hung on a cross. But my spirit will come back to live inside of you. Ephesians 2 and 20 declares that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Our salvation depends upon the obedience of the words of the apostles because he told them to go and preach. And what they were preaching, we were to believe. And this thing is so solid, it's so sure, the doctrine of the apostles, which is the foundation of the church, which is God's word, it tells us that all other doctrines are a curse. Galatians 1 and 8, Paul tells us, let God's curses fall on anyone. He said this, including myself. If I preach or anyone who preaches any other way to be saved than the one that we told you about. If an angel comes from heaven and preaches any other message, let him forever be cursed. And the same solemn warning he gives one more time in verse 9. He says, this is how important it is. I will say it again. If anyone preaches any other gospel than the one you welcomed, let God's curse fall upon them. How many of you ever told your kids something and then you just repeated yourself one more time? Like, in case you didn't hear me, let me say it again. Don't you dare. Don't you think, you didn't hear me the first time? I'm going to tell you one more time. This is what Paul's saying. He said, this is so important. I'm going to tell you this again. Verse 10, he goes on to say, you can see that I am not trying to please you by sweet talk and flattery. 
No, I'm trying to please God. If I were still trying to please men, I could not be Christ's servant. Have you obeyed the apostles' doctrine of salvation? There is no other plan. There is no other way. And and I don't care what I say. If I get up here and I start talking about something else that's not the apostles' doctrine, a curse is going to fall on me. So you better believe I'm sticking true to what the Word of God says. You can't go to heaven unless you go the way that the, that the apostles preached it. And Peter said it's, it's, it's the most popular apostolic Pentecostal verse that's out there. Acts 2.38, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I'm glad tonight that I love the apostles' doctrine. I'm glad that I'm filled with the Apostles' Doctrine. And I'm glad that I know the Apostles' Doctrine. I, I know I told you I was going to stretch you out a little bit, but I'm, I feel like I'm coming to a close with, with what we're going to talk about tonight because I don't want to jump into too much for next week. But I'll tell you how strong that God believed in the Apostles. He said the New Jerusalem, the abode of the Bride of Christ, the Church of God, through all eternity. This is how we know that we can take this as the truth from the apostles. He said, even there, the doctrine of the apostles upon which the church's builder revealed to be the foundation even of that glorious city. Revelation 21 and 14. He put so much stock in the apostles and their doctrine that he gave to them that he said the foundation of heaven are going to be named after the twelve apostles. You, you mean to tell me that what they said, they're that important that God's going to build heaven on them? Yes. Don't tell me you don't want to obey the apostles' doctrine. He put his whole message, everything that he came and died for, he put in the hands of the apostles' doctrine. Apostolic doctrine. You can teach it any way that you want but you can't teach it any plainer than that. Everybody say doctrine. You've got to believe doctrine. The reason why it's the apostles' doctrine is because he commanded it and he gave it to them. And the tragedy of the modern church is like Pharisees of old. Their religion makes them proud and they close their ears to the truth. When it comes to my salvation though, I'm not going down there, but I'm going up there. I don't want to play with it. I don't want to play with, with God saying, well, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this, God, and I'm getting one step further away from him. God, I, 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 I know you said this, but I really feel like this is what you meant, and I step one more step away from him. But when we stick to the doctrine of Jesus Christ, which is the apostles' doctrine, he gave it to them, we stick to the apostles, we get closer to heaven, we get closer to him. Listen, I don't want to play with my salvation. I don't want to play with your salvation. I want to be close to it. I don't want to fool with something else. I'll go the extra mile if I have to. Just because some people out there say, hey, I know a shortcut doesn't mean it's a safe way. I know plenty of shortcuts that yeah, we're probably going to, lose some, we're going to lose some parts of the car if we go that way on that shortcut. I'll go the extra mile if it means getting there the, where we're supposed to be. 
There's only one thing that will save you and there's only one thing that will save me and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's through the apostles' doctrine. It's the gospel of the death, the burial, and the resurrection. This isn't coming out of a Pentecostal manual. This is not coming out of something that somebody wrote a book at some point or another. This is coming directly out of the word of God. It's something that we have to understand. I'm talking about salvation, ladies and gentlemen. If we want ourselves to be saved, we want to see our family saved, we want to see this church saved, we have to understand and we have to continue to walk in sound apostolic doctrine. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together tonight and uh, next week we're going we're gonna to continue and uh, next week we're going to talk about, uh, I believe next week we're talking about baptism and um, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a great series. Ladies and gentlemen, it's going to be a great series. 